Good morning. This morning's message comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll be reading verses 6 to 15 together. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We thank you, Lord, for this portion of your word this morning. Thank you for um, the inspiration of your Holy Spirit when it was written thousands of years ago. And we thank you for the inspiration of your Holy Spirit today as you speak to us. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, Pastor Hank and I were working on the preaching schedule, and when we set the date for me to preach today, I said, I want to preach on giving. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I had a second thought and said, well, I don't really want to preach on giving. No one in their right mind wants to preach on giving. There are all sorts of reasons that it's hard to preach on giving. All my life, I've heard the criticism that churches just want people's money. All churches ever talk about is money. And if a person visits the church, especially a first-time visitor, and the message happens to be on giving, like today, a person can easily feel uncomfortable. Add to that, sometimes pastors or speakers can be manipulative. I can understand and sympathize with people's apprehension about sermons on giving. This past May, I found a cheap flight to Boston, $87 round trip. Uh, so I flew up for a few days to spend Mother's Day with my mother, which I hadn't done in decades. In addition to my plans to go to church with her on Sunday morning, she asked me if I wanted to go to her Sunday school class with her, which I did. A small class of about six people that day, plus me. The topic for the lesson was tithing, giving 10% to the Lord. As the class read the scripture and questions for each section of the lesson, um, throughout the hour, I watched the most fascinating thing happen. The person leading the class discussion changed the topic 
each and every time a question was asked. So they didn't ever end up talking about tithing. Some of the time, she even talked about not giving. It was quite apparent that having a discussion about giving and tithing was very difficult for the person leading the class and perhaps for the rest of the class too. Giving, tithing is deeply spiritual. It's deeply spiritual, which is why I said I wanted to preach on it. Not because I don't think you're giving enough and should give more, not because the church needs more money, not for any of those kinds of reasons. I wanted to preach on giving because I think it is an important facet of our spiritual lives. I once heard a sermon in which the pastor said that if you really wanted to know what a person loves, examine the content of their wallet. Then he emptied his and talked about each item. The photos of his family members, how much he loved his wife and his children. His driver's license, how much he loved his ability to be independent and to go wherever he wanted or needed, whenever he wanted or needed. And those who have lost that kind of independence know the love that he was talking about. His ministerial license, how much he loved the Lord in serving his church. His insurance, medical insurance card, how much he appreciated his health and loved the Lord's care for his body. In his cash and credit cards, and he shared that how he spends his money is also a reflection of what he loves. My family attended church weekly throughout my childhood, and I gave offerings regularly. I can't remember if it was really my money that I gave out of my weekly allowance or if my parents handed me a coin to put in the plate. But either way, I understood from a young age that giving was an important part of life. I was probably eight or nine years old when I first remember hearing anything about tithing. Not that I listened to the sermon at that point, but the associate pastor at my church, Herman Garrish, preached that day on the topic of tithing. On any Sunday at my church, after the service was over, you'd find the parents talking together on the sidewalk out in front of the church and all of the kids running around the church property playing together. We were always happy when our parents weren't in a hurry to go home. That meant more time for us to hang out with one another. On this particular Sunday, I ran past the group of parents just as I heard my father say, if he thinks I'm gonna give 10% of my hard-earned money to the church, he's crazy. It may be true that attitudes and values are caught more than they're taught. As a child, I caught the tithing is crazy way of thinking. And I held on to that for many years. I think I was out of college in my mid-20s and in my early years of ministry and in my early years of marriage when I first began to seriously consider what I ought to give. I wanted my life to be shaped not by my own thinking or by my parents' thinking, but by God's instructions 
Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Likely my father's words that influence my thinking fall in those categories. The psalm continues, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. In the Old Testament, there are passages of instruction about giving that have challenged me to the core. My personal convictions about giving have been shaped by verses like Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. It might help you to know, I'm not proud of this, but it might help you to know that I stole many, many things in my childhood, beginning when I was quite young, about six years old, stealing candy from the store down the street from my house, all the way until I was 15 years old. You should see Pat Morton's face. What? <laughs> you? Yes. In those years, I stole from corner stores, grocery stores, from friends' homes, from clothing stores. In my high school years, as I was developing a personal relationship with the Lord, part of that relationship building included a commitment to stop stealing, and the Lord changed me. I haven't stolen anything since I was 15 years old, praise God. But I know what it's like to be a thief and the selfishness behind it. So these words in Malachi are gripping to me. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. Malachi goes on in the rest of verse 8, but you ask, how do we rob you? And God answers, in tithes and offerings. When we read tithes and offerings, which is the phrase we also put in the order of our service on the front of our bulletin, I think we tend to read it as tithes or offerings, as if the choice were ours. We can give a tithe, 10%, if we want to, or we can give an offering. I don't think it was intended to be a choice, though. God's people in the Old Testament were expected to give both, to give a tithe and to give offerings in addition. My personal conviction from this verse and the remainder of the Malachi passage, which says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, is that our family is to give our whole tithe, 10% of our family's income, to our church, the storehouse from which we are spiritually fed. As Craig and I do that, we give up control of how those funds are used. The control belongs to the whole church body, not to one of us as an individual family. We have to open our hands and let go. I think the addiction to control is one of the most prevalent and harmful addictions in our day and culture. So for us, giving without directing the use of our funds is one of the helpful things that God uses in our heart in breaking through that addiction. 
after we give our tithe to the church, there are still things that are some burdens for each of us, things for which we want to designate some giving, like supporting missionaries, helping to provide food and education and clothing for a child in Zambia, helping to build a medical clinic for people without medical care in Zimbabwe, meeting some of the needs of ministries to Native Americans, giving to those kinds of things that are near and dear to our hearts are what Craig and I consider to be our offerings. When we first made a commitment to give at least 10% of our income to the church early in our marriage, we didn't arrive at that goal all at once. Over a period of time, over a period of time we had to change our spending patterns so that we could incrementally give more. It was a process. Sometimes fulfilling our commitment has been especially challenging. Sometimes it has required sacrifices, like for Craig, who, who drinks a crazy amount of milk. And when I say crazy, I mean crazy. There have been times of unemployment when it's meant drinking powdered milk so that we would have money freed up to give. Jesus talked about money perhaps more than any other life topic, and yet he didn't give prescriptive rules for exactly what we are to give. It may have been much simpler for us if he had, right? Though Jesus' teaching and the rest of the New Testament may be light on specific details of what we're to give, apart from instructions like 1 Corinthians 16.2 that the Corinthians were to weekly, regularly put aside a portion of their income. The early church was clear on how and why we are to give. They might not have said what, but I think they said how and why. First, we know from verse 7 of this passage in 2 Corinthians 9 that we're to give cheerfully. The Message Bible words that verse this way, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. In my worst moments, I confess to you, in my worst moments of envy and covetousness, I've had that dark thought that if I weren't a follower of Jesus, I'd have much more money. I'd have more money to spend on the things I want. That doesn't sound like a cheerful giver, someone delighting in the giving, does it? In our opening hymn, we sang, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart. Sometimes my heart needs a tuning. Does yours? We're not only to give cheerfully, but we're to give generously. This morning's passage from 2 Corinthians 9 follows chapter 8, which we didn't read for the sake of time. But Paul encourages the church in Achaia to give generously towards the needs of the church at Jerusalem, just as the Macedonian church had done. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 puts it succinctly. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I heard an application of this principle of reaping what you sow not long ago. The person asked a challenging question. They said, what if God 
were as generous as we are? What if God were as generous as we are? Then they said, based on the assumption that we are to be tithing, giving at least 10% of what God provides, the person asked, if God's provision for your needs were to be nine times what you're giving to him, how would you be doing? How are we to give? Generously, freely. Matthew 10 8, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. The Malachi passage I referred to earlier gives this further word from God about sowing and reaping generously. It says, test me in this, God's words, test me in this, in bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. The blessing of the Lord when we give may possibly be tangible earthly blessings, with God replenishing our supply as we give out. Many are the stories of folks, even people in our church here, who have taken God at his word and have tested him by giving what they, they didn't think that they could afford to give, and then God miraculously provided for their need. But whether or not we experience these kinds of miracles, when we give, there will always, always be a spiritual blessing. Proverbs 22.9 tells us, the generous will themselves be blessed. Thomas Carlyle, the Scottish philosopher, tells the story of how when he was a boy, a beggar came to the door. His parents were out and he was alone in the house. He said on a boyish impulse, he broke into his own savings bank and gave the beggar all that was in it. And I picture like a piggy bank literally smashing it and breaking it and giving all that was in it. And he said that never before or since did he know such sheer joyous happiness as came to him in that moment. The generous will themselves be blessed. Verse 8 of our passage explains that God in his grace gives us all that we need and more, not so that we can spend it on ourselves, so that we can, so that we can give toward the needs of others. We're to give generously. And then verse 9 of our passage quotes Psalm 112, verse 9. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. John Wesley's notes on, on this verse read, he hath scattered abroad, and then in parentheses he wrote, a generous word, with a hand full, without any anxious thought, which way each grain falls. Can you picture reaching into a bag of seed, filling your hand, and throwing it without any care of where the seed ends up, not being worried about losing it, he hath scattered abroad a generous word with a full hand, without any anxious thought which way each grain falls. Charles Spurgeon wrote a wonderful devotional on verse 15 of this passage. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. But his devotional gives a good description, not just of verse 15, but of the ending verses of the whole passage. 
he wrote, the gospel is founded upon giving. The gospel is founded upon giving. Perhaps here he's referring to God so loved the world that he gave. The gospel is founded upon giving and its spirit is giving. Buying and selling are unknown in spiritual things unless we buy without money and without price. Payment is for the law. Under the gospel, everything is gift. God gives us Jesus, gives us eternal life, gives us grace and glory, gives us everything. In fact, and then moved by love to him, we give ourselves back to him and to his people. God is glorified in the thanksgiving which is excited by the gifts of his people to the poor, as well as by their personal thanksgivings for his own gifts. He gives to us and we thank him. We give to others and they thank God for the kindness which he has inspired in us. Thus a round of thanksgiving to God is created by the spirit of giving, which first of all displayed itself in the unspeakable gift of God. We are as cups filled at the spring, and from us the thirsty drink and praise the fountain. As you know, I, I spent um, a few weeks in Zimbabwe. I, while I was there in August, I had an experience that moved me deeply, and that really caused me to think in new ways about giving. My friends, Notsin, Tobigile, and Neville Nube were in Zimbabwe for the month of August, so we actually overlapped for a couple weeks. And they had said that they wanted to spend a day with me. I told them I really wanted to see Mshibezi mission, and they said they would be happy to take me. What I didn't know when I asked was that the Mshibezi area is To's rural home, where she was raised by her grandmother. When I've traveled from place to place in both Zambia and Zimbabwe, I've seen along the road many rural homes, extended family compounds with various huts and buildings. Some have thatched roofs, and the boundary of the property is often surrounded by a fence made with tree limb posts. As we've driven by these family villages, I've wondered what these homes are like inside never expecting that I would get to be at one with loving friends and their loving family one day. The day that Notes and Toe and Neville took me to Mshibezi, unknown to me, they had also made arrangements to take me to Toe's rural home for the afternoon. The home's not far from the mission, and when we arrived, we were warmly welcomed by Toe's uncle, Absalom, and her aunt, Stella as well as her other uncle and aunt, Eugene and Amanda. Toe gave me a little tour of the homestead, beginning first with her grandmother's cooking hut. That's Toe in front of her grandmother's cooking hut, which housed her indoor kitchen. Then we saw her grandmother's sleeping hut with the bed that they shared. We also got to see Stella's indoor kitchen. In the round circle in the foreground of the photo is where cooking fires are built. 
with the hot weather that day, all the cooking was being done outside at the cooking areas there, two of them. Stella and Amanda and Toe and others who helped outdid themselves in making delicious food for all of us. We sat at a table outside in the shade provided by Absalom and Stella's house. And we enjoyed a feast of various fruits, some goat inner parts that I didn't try. I actually was told not to touch them. I willingly obeyed. Sweet potatoes and pumpkin, and a delicious meal of isishwala, which is a cornmeal staple food, goat meat and greens. When, I, when we first arrived at the homestead, Toa Notsen uh, had given some gifts to her uncle. He's the patriarch of the family. And those gifts included some shoes. This is a photo of Absalom wearing his new shoes. And at one point, he and I were the only ones sitting at the table. I watched him examine his new shoes. Then he put his face in his hands and wept. He was so touched by the gift and by the love behind the gift. After our feast and lots of conversation, I headed off for the latrine, and when I came out, Toe and her aunt were nearby, so I stopped to talk with them. Absalom joined us, and he kept thanking me for coming to his home, thanking me for coming to his home, even though I thought I was the more thankful one for the privilege of being at his home. And after a couple photos, he looked around for a minute. And this is what was around. His corn bin and lots of chickens. He grabbed one of his roadrunner chickens. That's what they call them. We call them free-range chickens. They call them roadrunners. <laughs> he grabbed one of his roadrunners and presented it to me as a gift. Thankfully, with Toe helping me, because I was raised in the city. And I truly don't know how to hold a rooster. I don't have a clue. I knew from conversation that I had with Jake and Nancy Shank, uh, BIC Global Workers in Zimbabwe. We had lunch together a couple years ago. And during that lunch, I remember Jake telling me, that it's important to accept a gift from a family you're visiting. I remember him saying that even if it's the last chicken that they own, you must accept it. It's very humbling to be given a gift like this. I knew it was a sacrifice for this loving family. So just as Absalom had been so touched by the gift of shoes brought for him, I was so touched by this gift to me. Absalom kept telling me how thankful they were that I came to their home, how thankful they were for my presence there, how thankful they were that I had blessed them with coming. And I was struck with the parallel 
to the gratitude I feel, that we feel, for the Lord Jesus coming to us. How much his presence in our world and in our church and in our individual lives means to us. How thankful we are for his presence. How blessed we are because he promises to be with us always. I just came back from probably one of the hardest weeks that I had, I've had in years. My father uh, deserted our family in my childhood and then deserted our family again and again over the years. And I got a call about a week and a half ago that my father is dying and the Lord had laid on my heart a couple months ago that I was to speak words of forgiveness to him. So on Wednesday, I flew to Boston. On Thursday, I visited my father and told him he was forgiven. And on Friday, I came back home. On Saturday, I wrote a sermon. <laughs> it was quite a week. God promises to be with us always. No deserting. Do you get that? I get that in the deepest part of my being. Our natural response, my natural response to such love, to such a blessing, ought to be similar to Absalom's response, that I should look around and see what I have and that I should give. Jesus' coming, Jesus' presence here was out of pure love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. A.W. Tozer, in his book, He Dwelt Among Us, wrote, you can search the libraries in all the world and search through every book of every language under the sun, and you will never find any 25-word text, and it's 26 in the NIV if you want to count, that compares to John 3.16. He said, even if you would collect all of the great minds of all of the philosophers and thinkers and writings from the beginning of time and put them in one room together, all their combined talents could not produce a text that means so much to the human race. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 and even verse 17 as well does not mention the cross. Not a word about the cross. And yet we know that the cross is there behind these incomparable words. 
And what's our apt response? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, ends my favorite hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, with the verse that says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And another famous hymn of his, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, ends with this last verse. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. Gratitude for God's indescribable gift of Jesus, for his coming, for his teaching, his example, for his humbling himself and becoming like a servant, for his sacrificial death on the cross, for his taking our punishment even though he had never sinned, for his triumph over sin and death through the resurrection, for his interceding for us even today, and for his abiding, faithful presence in our heart and in our lives. Gratitude for God's indescribable gift of Jesus is the reason, the supreme reason that we give. Let's give not reluctantly or out of compulsion, but willingly, naturally, generously, out of thanks. Let's pray. You know, Lord, that sometimes our hearts grow cold. Sometimes we take for granted what it means that you gave your son. Jesus, what it means that you left the glories of heaven and came to dwell among us. Holy Spirit, what it means that you dwell within us, flooding our hearts and lives with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh God, you give and give and give to us. And sometimes our focus is only on what we have, what we need, what we want. So we pray today, Lord, that you would help us to be more like you, to be givers, to be generous, to be both disciplined and joyful in our giving. And whatever it may be that you're calling us to give, whether it's more money or some of our precious things or more time or the sharing of our talents or more of our hearts, help us to hear your voice. Help us to obey. Help us to give thanks to you for your indescribable gift. Amen.